0: Welcome back to another episode of Tech Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about hot tech IPOs, uh, hospitality, how that's doing during COVID, and California's favorite governor. So Alyssa, this week, DoorDash, Airbnb, they IPO'd. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know we have different views on this.
1: Yeah, so uh, I realize that your view, Hayden, is that IPOs, like, they were unjust, whatever they were, I agree with one thing, they were inaccurate, okay? Okay. I do not think that the initial price offering was actually inaccurate. I think that the market's reaction was inaccurate. I mean, you saw that right after these companies IPO'd, basically both of them doubled within a two to three day period. They doubled in their initial price offering. And uh, I think a majority of that is obviously just noise. You know, people, see a new hot IPO of a company that's on all the tech headlines and they want to be the first in and they think it's going to grow up exponentially. But the reality is that, I mean, if we're taking a classic, like classical view of economics, like at some point it's going to come back down to the intrinsic value. And right now, um, a recent study showed that for Airbnb, they're trading um, at two times, essentially their price per share is two times what their book value per share would be. When on average in the industry for hospitality, vacation rentals, typically it is overvalued, but it's 0.6, the average for companies in that industry, it's 0.6 times above the book value. And then you have Airbnb over here and it's two times. And I think the question is whether that's a reflection of some competitive advantage that airbnb has versus its competitors or if that's just noise trading in the market
0: when they first happened when they ipo'd like a couple hours afterwards my friend texted me he's like hey how much did you buy because i know you bought these and i was like i did not buy these i didn't i heard about them i knew they were coming i did not want to buy them because i was unsure what was going to happen i don't believe in the for a minimum i don't believe in the, the doordash model i think over time it does well we people want that instant gratification they want food directly to them but once they start to realize all the fees that's going into it they're not going to want to be using it maybe people mm-hmm. are cost conscious i don't know
1: to be fair like personally I, I do use DoorDash excessively to be honest more than i should granted i'm banned for from postmates
0: you're I, banned from
1: <laughs> i'm not i still am unsure why i can't get through to an actual operator i just get a menu and get transferred to an automated um system for answering questions so i don't know why but i am banned from postmates um so i just use doordash but i have the dash pass, pass which i believe <laughs> dash pass which i believe uh i should really know how much i'm paying a month but i'm 99 percent sure it's like ten dollars a month um and when you think about the fees, like it cuts out all the delivery charges. So instead of paying, you know, from anywhere from two to six dollars for delivery, I'm paying nothing for delivery and my service fees are around one dollar. And I actually found that if I go on different websites for promotional codes, I can spend less using DoorDash than I would in a store. Gaming the system, that's the key.
0: That is absolutely the key. I still believe if you're not paying attention to your costs, like a oh my gosh, stupid consumer it. that it's you are
1: $10
0: yeah a still uh, i don't know what uh everyone makes generally but ten dollars they can probably buy another meal a month with that. i know
1: one, one other meal
0: you can yeah uh my favorite uh place to eat out in seattle is has like i only spend like ten dollars plus tip so still i think if you're paying attention to the costs I, I don't end up using DoorDash, I don't use Uber Eats, any of those. And that's why I think it's kind of overpriced or like the company itself, their business model, I just don't agree with. And that being said, I did not want to hop into it. For Airbnb, I it was in the same week. I don't really have an excuse, so I just did not want to hop into it. And in a Bloomberg in a Bloomberg Opinion article I like read a couple minutes ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of agree with, with one of the things you were saying. Um, I'll pull it up, see who, who wrote it, because uh, then I can do them justice by giving them credit. Take him. Uh, as they were saying, because with how they were IPO'd, it's the common retailer investor these days, the Robin Hood traders, they just want to hop into it. They don't really care about anything, they don't have the valuation. valuation. Well, I mean,
1: don't generalize. <laughs> we Robinhood traders please and thank you I have an Ameritrade account as well but Robinhood's my fun account thank you
0: I understand that but I think okay the normal general Robinhood (laughs) traders they're not gonna pay attention to how much is being offered how many shares are being offered and they don't even know what the general like they don't study finance people who use Robinhood Outside of yourself, I probably don't study finance. Okay, so
1: we're making a generalization about everyone except myself.
0: Yes, I I'm fine.
1: I i do not think I think that there are others as well as myself that have studied finance.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. There's the one-offs here and there, but they they're not paying attention to how much is being offered, uh, share-wise percentage of the company. And I think when they hop into it, supply on demand kicks in and they're realizing oh, all the shares of uh these companies these ipos they're being scooped up and the price of them just skyrockets and it happens so fast everyone inputs their um trades before open and once the brokerage kicks in and they start putting the trades into uh the stock market then it realizes everyone's trying to buy it let's shoot up the price so the price skyrockets and when that happens that's that's one of the reasons i think these ipos are just outrageously high Because they shot up about 86% and 113% um, respectively. I think it was DoorDash was first. and Yeah, DoorDash was first, Airbnb second. And DoorDash shot up 86% and then Airbnb shot up 113%. That's ridiculous.
1: I mean, I think that the market's already reverting though. Um, Since since last week when they IPO'd, Airbnb is down 10.1%. DoorDash is down 13.6%. So they're already coming back to the norm that I think they're at, they should be at. But, I mean, the reality with these valuations, like DoorDash, right? It was valued at $47 billion. The entire uh, value of the company was valued at $47 billion. And they still went, like, they sold off 10%, and they still went for less than 10% of their valuation. But I also think that there is just a self-fulfilling prophecy with contributing to noise trading because the reality is that these companies, when they decide that they want to go through an IPO process, who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose a Goldman or Merrill Lynch? Say Goldman's going to value you at 19 times, Merrill Lynch is going to value you at 24 times. As a seller, you're inclined to go with the firm that's going to sell you for a higher valuation. So there's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy, not that you're, you're like true book value is going to attain those numbers but that the market is going to think that you're worth that because they don't understand i think the fundamentals behind what goes into the ipo process and how companies choose a bank to determine their valuation
0: i agree with that i just on that comment alone i'll, I'll say if you've seen uh, the big short in 2000 <laughs> on the 2008 financial crisis yeah no, it- i know
1: i hate and watch that it had nothing to do with margot robbie
0: it was pretty funny i think um steve carell he had a funny character and i liked um christian bale yeah um and when they when steve carell was looking into um how they did all the the ratings for the agencies for the for the bonds he was talking to i want to say moody's or is the person i don't know i don't remember too exactly um what agency they were referring to. But um, she was saying, yes, we kind of just, they'll they'll give them a higher price because they know if they don't, or higher rating because it was the ratings agency, they'll give them a higher rating because if they don't, they'll go to uh, S&P down the street or someone else. <laughs> and she was like, this is ridiculous. This is absolute bull. And that's when he's like, all right, that's it. It's a bubble. And that's when he was ready to uh, put his shorts in. I think
1: that we're saying that again, too. Like this suspicion. you know, you see it on all the opinion websites, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg. You see on all the opinion pages, these analysts are saying, you know, it's very likely that we're going back in to a dot com bubble era. And uh, I think there's something to be said about that. But I also think that it's such an unusual circumstance because of Covid. And like, Yeah, you know, you see these companies and they're trading for 23, 24 times, basically. I think that's around the average 23, 24 times this year in that tech industry and with these tech infrastructure companies like Airbnb and DoorDash. And uh, when you think back to the dot-com bubble, it was the same thing, really high multiples with low revenue. But I think that that's different in the COVID era because like sales have been... Detrimented by, you know, people don't have disposable income people aren't making money people are unemployed unemployment rates rising and so There's a entirely different reason versus the dot-com bubble why there's high multiples and low sales revenue There's low sales revenue because we have a national pandemic like people can't spend this money as often And so I think that that has something to do with these really high multiples and look like I have said it before I do think that there are bubbles happening But I don't necessarily think that it can be generalized into all of tech because I think that COVID has had such an influence on those high multiples versus it just being (laughs) irrational traders. (laughs) If we're thinking about just on the basis of these valuations, I think especially like private equity is going to have a lot to do with this reversion back to average multiples (laughs) and um, realistic valuations because... You think about like private equity funds and VC funds, you know, they're civic growth equity funds. You, they typically have a three to five year timeline, unusual circumstances, 10 year timeline. But I think that in the next five years, when these companies that are under um, private financing attempt to resell, that they're gonna see like, huh, multiple arbitrage is going to be going in the opposite direction. <laughs> that it would typically go when you want to sell a company because of these high valuations. And I think because of the rise of the sheer number of companies that are trying to enter the industry where tech infrastructure, AI infrastructure, having all of this technological capability is dominating the industry and seems so new. And that's why people are shoving all their money in it so rapidly. But you think five years down the road, like you're not going to be unusual (laughs) if you have this large, tech infrastructure and ai and big data you're not going to be unique every company is probably going to rely on that that does well in the stock market and like five years from now every company is going to have that you have to have that to stay afloat
0: i think everyone's shifting to their own ai their own big data and what they intend to use on it how much could we collect how much could we build and
1: i don't want to know actually
0: i (laughs) i can just like guess I'm I don't know entirely I haven't thought too much into it but I I will say or at least I, I believe that we could put ourselves in a place where you could understand an entire industry but if you start building AI that under, understands like completely everything like let's say Watson at that level of sentience from IBM uh, to understand absolutely everything about the industry and how the consumer behaves in that industry, then I I think we'll get pretty out of hand. And I I don't know where that would take it. I would think you believe Amazon is too big or we'll have an antitrust case at that point, if everyone has their own AI, that's incredibly well-versed in the consumer behavior. And I think big data would apply to that same logic as well. If we understood everything, then. I think it could get out of hand, I don't know to what extent, and I bet there's limitations somewhere where we collect the data, how we collect the data, there's ethical and probably legal implications depending on where you are. Yeah. I mean,
1: you, you saw it in propositions this year, and like, I think that that's really where antitrust actually is going to hammer down <laughs> in the next five years. I think antitrust, its biggest presence and prevalence is going to be in big data. Because if you monopolize data, (laughs) that's going to be not just an antitrust law. So you're going to have privacy violations. Like there are so many layers on top of that. And if someone tries to monopolize, which hasn't happened yet, because there's so many smaller companies as well, that, you know, startups that are focusing on big data and AI and analytics and metrics. And there hasn't been, in my opinion, there hasn't been one dominant player in data analytics. And I think that once that player emerges, that's where you're going to see the most intensity with antitrust lawsuits. Tangent, but... Yeah,
0: that was a hefty tangent. Yeah. As a fun fact, to transition into our next topic, as of its IPO, Airbnb was worth more than every publicly listed hotel chain in the US. The market cap of Airbnb was worth more than all of them combined, which is a little little interesting, but... um. What we want to talk about now is hospitality and how does that change after COVID or towards the end of COVID? What what does it look like? How do they recover? And right now they're empty. No one's traveling. No one's staying at these hotels. Travel's just basically very limited. People are advised not to travel unless it's essential. So how does hospitality recover from that? And... I was thinking about what if they started selling off their buildings and making them offices? That would take a lot of money to start renovating them, but still how I don't even know if people are going to want to go to work anymore, if they're going to want to be in offices. It's staying at home looks very mainstream after how long we've been doing it already.
1: You know, in my opinion, <laughs> I do not think that Regardless of the fact that people will most likely have the virtual option, even once the vaccines are dispersed widely, I think that regardless of having the option to continue working remotely, people inherently, like, it's just in human nature that we're social beings. Like, from an evolutionary standpoint, we had to cooperate, we had to be social in order to progress in society. And I think that that's something that's just inherent in humans, is uh, this desire this need to be social and interact with other humans (laughs) so for one i think that the hospitality industry like will revive after covid i mean you've seen big chain hotels take such a big hit like hilton last year they had i think 260 in net income and just in quarter two they were down like 450 maybe a little more than that um Re- yeah, so you can <laughs> see how much of a toll it's taking on yeah. these businesses, but that's also mainly because, you know, you have travel bans in place and you have federal restrictions, you have local restrictions and new legislation that prevents having full occupancy. But then again, you see like Airbnb, you see how well they're doing, and you see like VRBO and these uh, this new style of hospitality, which essentially it's helping both sides of the platform like the network you have like the buyer and seller network it's helping both of them seller network you're giving people the opportunity to rent out their houses and you're giving sellers opportunity or buyers the opportunity to stay in a great location for a much cheaper price so i think that that's kind of the direction that it's going in is the cheaper hospitality it's more personalized but it's this niche that millennials crave and most generations are starting to find appealing because of the low prices convenience great location more availability
0: hotels hotels i think hotels going to them the appeal has gone down a lot it's if you're traveling somewhere there's more availability to get an airbnb or a vrbo closer to wherever you want to be rather than a hotel unless it's a big city i i imagine if it's a big city then hotels that's the way to go but oftentimes we're i'm noticing at least that people don't want to stay in hotels the incentive to stay into a hotel is a just the living accommodations uh included breakfast and some sort of other accommodations uh, that they have if it's based off of a uh, vacation like a vacation spot but that's not what people are doing right now I think it's more of a uh, use a vacation rental or a house that is already on the beach rather than the hotel that's down the street it's a very specific example that I know in my personal life but um, I have noticed that that's what people tend to use right now Bless you.
1: Thank
0: you. Um, And yes, at the beginning of COVID, even Airbnb and VRBO, they did not do well. But as it's still going on, they will continue to do well because they have that more personalized touch. I, I believe millennials, Gen Z, whoever is coming up next after them, they want it to be more catered towards them i'm gonna bring up twitter right now i've i saw two tweets this morning when i woke up one was a girl being very ecstatic about the review her airbnb host gave on her and it was about she was such a great person she would want to go to her wedding if she ever gets married like that was funny i know like <laughs> that was what incentivized her to like say oh my goodness this is my airbnb host and that they had a very good connection with each other. Not only is it good for the the person who's traveling to the Airbnb, but even the people that are renting out their homes are enjoying it as well. They're having experiences like this. And the second one I saw was more comedic on understanding that in the 1918 <coughs> pandemic and that existed, why the 20, the Roaring Twenties existed. She was like, I understand now why the Roaring Twenties existed. And probably it's going to be the same way. Post-COVID, people will do way more traveling. We will be way more social than previously. Or they will be more inclined to want to go out, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think that... I mean, I think that just going back to COVID's effect on the hospitality industry, I feel like it's given companies within the hospitality industry this opportunity to pivot, too. I read this story in the paper the other day. Yes, I read the paper still.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> saw it, actually.
1: So <laughs> what happens when your dad's a boomer and you get accustomed to reading a paper. <laughs> but, um, I was reading this article, and it was about this boutique little hotel inn in pennsylvania in like dutch county of pennsylvania my dutch heritage let's go um, but it's called the smithton inn and it's like a historic um hotel inn to stay at and pennsylvania shut down um the hospitality industry essentially like during covid you weren't allowed to stay in like a certified hotel or inn but pennsylvania also closed liquor stores during covid and but they didn't shut down other like places from selling liquor so the smithton inn what they did they had a wine bar in the bottom of their hotel and they were like hmm liquor stores are closed why don't we do delivery and takeout with alcohol and they've managed to like keep profit up just by pivoting into doing that because if you're the only source for alcoholic beverages everyone's gonna come to you and so i think that covid's like Given these businesses an opportunity to pivot, figure out a way, like don't spend your money, find a way to save up money, find a way to get some revenue coming in and stay afloat. So you can transition back into a normal operating hospitality business, but you also have this other factor that's drawing in more customers.
0: I agree. Like this is an excellent time to pivot. I, my first thought process is it's bad, but. Clearly, they don't need people right now. Mm -hmm. And there was probably huge layoffs at, let's say, Hilton or Marriott. And what are they going to do with that money? Yes, save it. Or what else could they do with it? They probably bought a bunch of hand sanitizer, all that fun stuff, cleaning supplies, because everyone's doing that in between guests. They want to make sure that the guests know that as well. And I imagine that's what they did prior to COVID, but now they're just advertising it. But there could be other infrastructure changes, like their operating system on how they manage guests staying, or if they have an app, I don't know if they have an app, but I feel like that's the way just the future is going with technology. Everyone has some sort of app to add convenience to their business model, and they want to set up for later, not right now. Like, right now is not their time, and they can put a little money invested into another project or program that they have and that would pay out later into the future
1: i mean you see these so many platforms man (laughs) platforms (laughs) platform businesses are just wow okay but you see these platforms like Travelocity and expedia and i think that yeah hotels and like airlines they partner with these types of platforms expedia travelocity essentially like a technological travel agent yeah um and that's how people get discounts because they can buy in bundles they can buy in packages so i think that the the platform model for that exists but at the same time i feel like people there's so many platform websites. There's so like, many. There's so there's many. There's a lot. And they all guarantee that you're going to have price comparisons, that they're offering the best price. And it's like when you have 20-plus different platforms just for booking a trip, As a, how do you know which one you're supposed to use? How do you know which one? Like, is it all going to come down to partnerships? Like, what does it come down to where you're getting the best deal? And if it is just partnerships, doesn't that typically result in, like, one dominant player and the rest fading out?
0: uh yeah i think so uh i tend not to use the platforms which i know i'm like saying i know i'm saying like they should switch to that or do something with them but i tend to just buy the flight by itself the hotel or airbnb by itself and just follow figure out the rest because if you just pay up front then you're skipping any middleman or 10 middlemen in between and honestly Like, my big, this is how I think about it. I was comparing flights, the same flight off of two different uh, services. It was Alaska and American Airlines. And the person next to me was looking on American, and I was looking on Alaska. However, a trip to Seattle, you only can go through Alaska. And even though they work together, American was referencing the same Alaskan flight at $20 more than the Alaska flight that I was looking at and yes I was just using Alaska's website and the other person was just using American Airlines' website and that's how they made the money there like American Airlines was making $20 more or $20 just by referencing Alaska as the flight to be on and I don't know I think if you cut out the middleman in just about everything then you're paying for the product or service at its most raw price. However, that's not the most convenient sometimes. And every time you're adding a middleman, you're paying for convenience to some capacity, and I think there is necessary times where you do need a middleman. Going back to where I don't think there's a, you need a middleman is DoorDash and Uber Eats. I don't think you need to pay for them, but you're paying for convenience and cold food at that point.
1: sorry i had to take a minute to roll my eyes as an avid fan of convenience (laughs) and i literally pay less using doordash occasionally than i would going and buying it in the store or in the restaurant so i'm just saying but i think that like you've seen like there's been a lot of consolidation too with traditional travel agencies like um For one, obviously, because of the pandemic, you know, a lot of these companies are operating at losses and they're like, I might as well just sell at this point because I'm either going to go under or I'm going to get acquired. So there's definitely been a tendency towards consolidation for that reason. And then also traditional travel agencies, a lot of them, the CEOs, the owners are approaching retirement age. You know, it's the boomers; they're about to retire so they're also like i want to exit my business now i want it to sell off i want to like liquidate the value that i put into it liquidate my equity and so a lot of that i think is spurring consolidation as well but as like traditional agencies consolidate together and a few dominant players emerge it's interesting to see how these traditional agencies are going to try to compete with the platform businesses because they have i feel like they have the history the traditional ones they have history they do have partnerships for the most part and they also have like personalization they have this personal touch that everyone's craving during covid that a platform website doesn't have the amount of times that i have tried to use these platforms and then i'm like i have no idea what's going on so i try to call a number and it automates me 50 times and every time i'm like i want to talk to you know like customer service agent. I want to talk to a customer service agent. Nope. It will continue to put me through to automated recordings of answers to questions. I'm like, I literally can go to your like FAQs page and just get these two. Can I please speak to someone? So I feel like the personal touch, like honestly is going to make someone a revival in the like upcoming five years, especially after COVID where these traditional business models that have the customer service that have the personal touch will be able to compete with these platform businesses with a ton of tech infrastructure.
0: I agree. And I hope they do. I hope they do succeed.
1: I hope they do as well.
0: (laughs) You know who's not struggling in COVID?
1: Gavin Newsom.
0: Yeah, Gavin Newsom. (laughs) He's, uh, in the public eye, he's just, he's struggling there. But everywhere else, he's uh, shutting down states left and right. And, you know, he's still going out to dinner. Like he's saying all right everybody don't go out to dinner uh, please just close down uh, indoor dining close down everything else 20 percent capacity literally like if you have a thousand people in available in your place all right 200 people or 20 is okay um 20 capacity is okay but if uh you are going to some sort of church other type of gathering that's uh protected by a constitution then he doesn't care he's like close it um but yeah even though he closes everything else down do you know what's still open i forget the name of the french place but he goes up to dinner the next day or is it the same night
1: it was the next day it was the
0: next day and he goes up to dinner the next day at his like french restaurant this is like not looking good he's caught uh someone catches him takes photos of him The same, the next day after he had uh, said, you know what, let's close everything down. It's not looking too good for him. Not a big fan.
1: Yeah, he also uh, went on a nice little trip with his nice political friends to Napa Valley. And was dropping like 4,000 on dinner and wine just on himself. And it's like... He's so hypocritical. I'm bear. sorry. Like no, It doesn't even matter what side you're on in, in politics. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, or Republican, Liberal, Conservative. Like You've seen this uproar against Gavin Newsom on both sides because he preaches, stay at home, don't go outside unless it's like necessary to do so. And then he's out living lavishly off, I'm sorry, a lot of California's tax dollars and having a nice bottle of wine in a group larger than 10. and. Yeah. It's just, how can you lead a country? Like, you have to practice what you preach. That's the saying. Practice what you preach. And he's doing the opposite. So I think he's got both sides of the political spectrum just infuriated by his inability to practice what he preaches. Like, in San Clemente, which is in southern Orange County, they have all these signs up because the beaches got shut down, and it's like, Gavin Newsom doesn't surf. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time it's like there are safe activities i think like being outside distance instead of in a winery in napa valley in close proximity being outside on the beach all distanced like yeah that seems like it should be acceptable
0: my favorite thing that came out it was very recently know, like two weeks ago um when he originally shut us shut down california he refused to give funding to the counties if they didn't cooperate. And uh, I think it was the Riverside... This
1: Rivers- is not totalitarian at all.
0: No. And I, I try to avoid politics. I am not very political. This is something that I can, like, agree with. And I, I will make a... Uh,
1: Back up your opinion.
0: Pub- yeah, a public uh, statement on this. Um, I think it was the Riverside uh, sheriff, he said... Well, if Gavin Newsom's uh, preventing counties from getting uh, state money, that's very hypocritical because he berated Trump for doing the same thing on a state level. He was, Trump was going to stop giving money to the states that weren't cooperating with him. And now Gavin Newsom's doing the same thing, even though Newsom was very angry with Trump on that. That's v- incredibly hypocritical. And yes, there's federal and state level governments that have beef with each other they're different p- political parties of course the, everyone's a different political party there's always a political reason system, you yeah know? there's always a political reason why people are having hate or I, I will say hate is a decent word for this um with one another because newsom is democrat trump is republican and that was clearly motivated there, their their tension. there's always like some political leniency like sometimes there are people that are gonna like just turn to blind eye and agree with some of the politics and i do blame them for that it's identity politics i don't think that's a good thing and i forget where i'm going with this however i don't agree with identity politics and i understand they exist and i don't know how to fix that
1: unfortunately i think the way to fix it is by not having a two-party system but the problem is that you know, if you're gonna have a third party, like it's gonna it's not gonna be libertarian. It's too close to Republican. No. Um, it's gonna be independent. Like if there's gonna be a third party, it's gonna be an independent party. It's just there has to be a middle ground. And I think that honestly, sorry to start politics, but I think that's why Biden won. Because I think that what he his platform was For his campaign was, we're one country, like, let's get back and, like, let's unify this country again. Which is a great platform to run on. I don't disagree with that platform. But, I mean, the question is, will he put it into practice? But you just see, like, the reason he won, the reason he got states that are typically red, is because, like, people are so sick of this polarization. And Gavin Newsom is not helping, especially for just trying to, you know, like have like republicans like come back to like a middle view like have republicans come back to an independent outlook you know instead of like just conforming to yeah political identity and um i just think that gavin Newsom is uh, provoking this polarization by being you know one of the lead dem- democrat democratic governors and acting the way that he's acting like good job let's just fuel the fire of polarization by preaching all this stuff as a democratic leader in this country and then doing the opposite mm,
0: the only thing i think uh newsom unifies everybody with is like the unification yeah the unification <laughs> of hating newsom um, but there's just so much newsom does that uh is not too good for the state of california and i'll give them the fact that yes it's the largest uh, populated state in the U.S. It has way more people than anyone else and is incredibly hard to govern. But the thing is, that's the job he ran for. He, he, signed expect- up for it. he signed up for it. He ran for it and we elected him. And now he's getting, he's almost getting recalled. There's a huge petition out. Um, Apparently has around half the votes necessary.
1: Yeah, it needs 1.5 and it's out about 8.
0: Only million? One point five million? That's it? Uh huh. Oh my God! That I have no doubt in my mind he's gonna get recalled then, because we have like thirty four million people in California. I I'm guessing we can look this I'm up right now. I'm gonna
1: fact check myself.
0: Um, but like, there that is just so abysmal or so minuscule, like, he has not done well in public eye. And optics is everything in politics.
1: Yeah, it's 1.5. I was right.
0: With a state of about just under 40 million people, 39.78 million people, that is nothing. That's like 1.5 million is really easy to obtain for Gavin Newsom to just petition, complete the petition for him to be recalled. I have no doubt it's going to go through. I don't know... The full process of uh, a governor being recalled, but I do know that's how Arnold became governor, so that's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. And
1: I just looked up the number of small businesses as well in California alone, <laughs> and there's four point one million small businesses.
0: Yeah, if every small business owner,
1: it's like assuming like they don't 30-ish overlap, percent. yeah, a little over three percent.
0: Assuming even if one person owns two small businesses. That's still enough for them to close out a, or complete the petition for his recall. So we're going to wrap it up. That's our little rant on Gavin Newsom. Hospitality and Airbnb today, and DoorDash as well. Can't forget about them. But if you've enjoyed us, enjoyed listening to our voices, share us with a friend, who knows? They might think we're funny too.
1: <laughs> I don't think you're funny. <laughs> I think I'm so funny. <laughs>
0: You're laughing right now. I'm not laughing. I'm laughing
1: at you, not with you. (laughs) See, if if anyone wants to laugh
0: at me, they can do that too. (laughs) So anyway, thanks for listening. Have a good one.